Thank you, Karina. Thank you, everyone. You're back. <laughs> How about if we begin um, the way we began uh, yesterday with just a couple of deep breaths to remember that however we understand God, and there's many different understandings of God in um, Alcoholics Anonymous, however we understand God, that perhaps we could agree the power greater than ourselves is the one who gives us life and breath, because we don't manufacture that ourselves. And so just being aware of our own breathing makes us um, conscious of God's contact with us. So just a few deep breaths and be silent within yourself. Be still. Alone, even though we're in a big group of people. Empty before God. Say nothing. Ask nothing. Be silent. Be still. And let your God look at you. That's all. God knows. God understands what's in each one of us. God understands you. God loves you with an enormous love. God only wants to look upon you with love. So be quiet. Be still. Just be. And let your God love you. Amen. And as I said yesterday, that, that isn't my own. It's from uh, woman Edwina Gately. Who, uh, it's not conference-approved literature. But anyway. You just heard it. Okay. So here we are, the last day of our conference. And um, if anyone is... Um, Listening to these tapes and thinking, well, if this was an AA conference, she really went off the deep end with some scripture and religion stuff. And uh, so if you're listening to the CD and have listened to it this far, I apologize. And that normally wouldn't be done at an AA conference. But this was kind of different. And I ran up by a couple of people and they they said it would they thought it would be OK. Uh, so um, there we go. <clears throat> Yesterday, I was going through my notes. I, I put all my notes for talks and, um, you know, when I'm doing an extended thing like that. Not if I'm speaking in an AA meeting, I don't, I don't do notes. But for something that's, you know, goes on for Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, I do some notes. Otherwise, you'd be listening to me babble and it'd be like, you know, the Charlie Brown Christmas. So this kind of keeps me on track. And I was going through my notes, and there was this one paper, and this is really yellowy, so it's old, and it just had one quote on it. And I thought, well, I don't know, I, I don't intend to use that, and I put it aside. And um, it's from a 13th, 14th century uh, writer, and uh, I thought, oh, they don't need to hear that. I'm putting it, I put it aside. 
And then um, last night, I opened my email, and a friend had the same quote in his, uh, in his email. Same exact quote that was on this piece of paper that I had written down some time ago. And I thought, wasn't that interesting? You know, coincidence. Then I opened another email, and it was a quote of the day that I get from uh, uh, a great website, if you're on it, uh, www.gratefulness.org. Very easy. Um, And they send a quote a day. And the quote for the day was the same quote. And I said to myself, self, how many times you need, maybe, maybe it's important. Here's the quote. God is not found in the soul by adding anything, but by a process of subtraction. So if we're going to find God within us, and that's where we're going to find God. I mean, we can look for God every place else. But if we really, um, in, in, in the, uh, that's in the book, um, I'm not a page number person, but uh, it's, it's in there that we find God within us. The, if we're going to find it, it's not by going to be by adding a lot of stuff. It's by stuff being taken away. And in this, you know, I thought I'm not going to use that quote because it's, you know, not conference approved. It was, you know. Um, seven centuries before um, AA got started, that this was said. But there's a great wisdom in that. That in, in AA would tell us the same thing. When our character defects are removed, then we see who we really are. And that is someone made in God's image. If we're going to find God, we have to look within. And it's not going to be, God's not going to be found by our adding anything. Oh, I'll go to this place and I'll read this book and I'll do this and, I, and then I'll have all this stuff in me and then God will be there. It's, it's a paradox, but AA is filled with paradoxes. It's by taking stuff out, by taking out the... Uh, the character defects, by humbly asking that God do that, by being, backing up a bit, by being ready to have them removed. That's how we're going to find God. So I figured if I came across it three times in one day, I was supposed to say it. So who knows? Maybe somebody's sitting and saying, what does that mean? Well, someone was like, wow, you know. Okay. But probably, you know what the real reason for that is? I needed to hear it. You know, that's that's the real reason. I needed to hear it. So thanks for, you know, being part of my hearing it. That we, we peel off layer upon layer. We peel off the denial. We peel off the dishonesty. We peel off all those other characteristics. And then we find God in our brokenness. Not in our perfection. We find God in our broken, brokenness. And isn't that, I mean, those who, and many of you have identified yourselves to me as being Christian, isn't that the Christian message? That, that life comes out of brokenness. Excuse me, you know, on the cross. Um, so, so that's it. We, we, we uncover all this stuff. We find out, oh, we're really broken. Good news. Good news. I mean, 
everything that you got to appreciate paradoxes or you're not going to get AA and you're not really going to get the real message of, I would say, probably every religion. I'm not familiar with as many as I am with, you know, my own, but that's the message. It's not perfection. We hear it every time. That's the wisdom of listening. That's why they're read. So you'll listen. And it's great when you get to read them because then you have to listen as you're saying them. Not that you can't be distracted and be thinking of other things. One, we admitted we were followers over alcohol. But that's why we listen to them all the time is so that we keep getting the message. We We are not saints. The point is we're willing to grow along spiritual lines. And actually, I would say we really are saints because saints are just people that are, you know, struggling to uh, let God into their lives. So we're all but But that, that society's idea of a saint, you know, which is, you know, perfect plaster, you know, okay, I'm, I'm a saint. Um, no, they were people who struggled to, you know... Um, had to do the same things that that we're doing. Peeling off layer upon layer of denial and dishonesty so that we discover what's really there. And when we get there, it's it's our brokenness. Our brokenness. And then we can go someplace. Our powerlessness, if you will. So that's the message there for us that that kept coming up to me yesterday. Tell them that. Tell them, no, 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 that's my style. That's, you know... 13th century. They've got to hear something more. 20, 21st. Getting up to date here. No, Kathy, tell them. You know, God is not found in the soul by adding, but by a process of subtraction. And, and the steps will do that. The steps will take it all away from us if we allow it. And then we find what's really there. And we'll find that God is here with us. God is here with us. We don't, we don't need to go outside looking. God is, is with us. And um, I have a friend who says God is always, always on our side. But we're not always on God's side. And so it's like, let's get on God's side. Um, we come home to ourselves. We come home and inside. Um, I... I came across a reading um, that, that really spoke to me of that. And it's a, it's a story. Stories are great. I mean, AA says that. That's why we tell our stories. They're very, very important. And um, I, there's a storyteller who says, all stories are true, and some of them really happened. So the, the, the wisdom behind that is that even if it's a story we make up, we make it up because there's a truth there, you know, so there's, there's a truth to be found. And this story is about a young monk who wants to learn to pray, who wants to find God, and, or it's a young man who goes to a monastery and, and he goes to, to find God. It doesn't say, um, you know, which religion, it could be a Buddhist monk, it could be any kind of a monk, uh, and he goes off to, to the monastery and he wants to find God. And he goes to the, the one in charge, you know, because you're going to find out from the, from the most important one at the monastery. You know, well, 
and he's having trouble. And so finally he, he goes and he, he goes to the monk who, who um, his job is to repair shoes. And so he goes to his little shop and he sits there at his, um, in his shop and he's asking the monk, you know, I want to find God. I want to find God. And here's the old man's answer to him. Your problem is you don't know who you are. Let me tell you who you are. You are a ray of God's light. You say you seek God, but a ray of light doesn't seek the sun. It's coming from the sun. You are a branch on the vine of God, and a branch doesn't seek the vine. It's already a part of the vine. A wave doesn't look for the ocean. It's already full of ocean. So that little story helps me to, to really believe this, this stuff, that if I'm going to seek God, it's, I just have to look within. Look within. And I don't mean that we just sit and navel gaze and, you know. But doing the hard work. And this weekend we've talked about a lot. And what you've heard, as I said before, what you've heard is much more important than what I've said. See, that gets me off the hook. You know. Okay. And you probably, especially, um, you might have had the, the experience where after an AA meeting or after maybe some kind of a meeting in here, someone comes and says to you, I really liked what you said. And you say, oh, really? Thank you. What was that? And they say it, and you don't even recognize it. It's like, I said that? Or sometimes it's happened to me, I don't even agree with what they're saying. You know, but, they, but that's what they heard. So what you, what you hear is much more important than what I say. So ask yourself, maybe reflecting on this, the, the, um, uh, can extend the benefit of, of this time by reflecting on it afterwards. What did you hear? One of the things that most people commented to me about was the thing on forgiveness, that it's so important. Forgiveness is so important. It's important that we heal the hurts, because if we don't, we just keep carrying them around with us, to let go of them, to forgive our parents. I don't care how good they were, they messed up something. <laughs> and uh, some of them failed miserably. Some of our parents failed miserably. They, but even if they didn't fail miserably, they all made mistakes. And you, those of you who are parents can understand that a little bit better maybe than I can. And we can say they did the best they could. But the fact of the matter is, the best wasn't good enough. And maybe for some of you, you're saying, you know, I did the best I could with those kids. I, 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 you know, I was caught in my addiction. I was caught in whatever I did. But I really did the best I could. And yeah, maybe the best wasn't good enough. But you can't go back and change that any more than, than, than we can go back and change the way that we were brought up. Or, so we just, we, we recognize it and do whatever the stuff is we need to do to heal the hurt. To heal the hurt. To let go of it to let go of it.
and so we have to forgive them. We have to. It doesn't mean we have to reconcile with them. Sometimes that one might be dangerous. And maybe they're dead. And sometimes I find that easier, to be honest with you. Because then you just, you know, write the letter, read it to your sponsor, or, you know, go to the cemetery, whatever, and you don't have to listen to the, the feedback. But, but seriously, if, if someone has died and you've, you're carrying the hurt that they did to you, do whatever work you need to do. And, and I you probably figured out by now I'm a great advocate of writing. Write it out. Write it out. You don't have to do anything with it. Write it out. How do we know we have forgiven? Stop telling the story. Stop telling the story. Now, first of all, at first, you have to, in order to heal, you've got to tell the story. You've got to tell someone about the hurt. That's really important. That's really important. And maybe it's not when it first happens because you're in denial that it ever happened, but when you become aware of, of the hurt, when you get in touch with, that's what it is. It's because of that. This, this is an incredible hurt. You have to tell. And you tell it appropriately. It's not you tell it to everyone that, you know, you can hold captive in order to tell. Um, you don't tell it in, in big groups, you know. But you tell it appropriately, and you tell it many times, maybe. But at some point, when you've told it enough, you have to stop telling the story in order for you to heal. In order for you to heal. I said, I referred to um, last weekend, I I was in a situation where I was really hurt. I was... I was angry, I was, you know, hurt, and, um, and that's, I was telling you, when it was happening, I was thinking, why do you think you can get up and talk about forgiveness and not have to do it? I'd rather just talk about it than do it. But. So, you know, all week I'm doing, okay, I'm, you know, tell the story, you know. And, I, okay, then I've, I've let it go, okay? I have forgiven them, I have let it go. Till last night, I was talking to a friend. The friend, by the way, Kathy, it must have been the cheese in my story Friday night. That, that friend, who, by the way, spent all of yesterday in prayer, because that's what she does for a living. And uh, she was praying for all of you. Uh, and she was up in Allegheny, New York. She wasn't the ones down in Florida. They were praying for you. So Allegheny said so the whole East Coast is like <laughs> filled with prayer for you people. Um, and me. Uh, but anyway, I was talking to her, and I started, how did it go last weekend? And I, well, I just started with all the, so I know I haven't forgiven, because the story came out, and it came out with as much, um, you know, my side of it, obviously, not the other person's, um, so at some point, I've got to stop telling the story. And maybe now that's the end of it because she's a very dear friend and she was more worried about what was happening and so forth. Um, so the forgiveness business is it's a decision we make to let go of the hurt. Sometimes it takes a lot of work. We need to name the hurt because otherwise, if we've been hurt and we don't name it, it's denial. And denial builds up resentments. Holding on to the hurt builds up resentments. That's what the word means. A Latin for resentment means to re-feel, to feel again. And that's what resentments are. 
And resentments, you read in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, is the leading cause of people drinking again. The leading cause. Resentment. Hold on to it. Leads back to drinking. So we we want to get rid of them. We want to get rid of resentments because we don't want to drink again. If if, If we do the work and we let it go and we stop retelling the story again, we're just opening wounds. You know, so we need to do it. We need to do it properly. We need to, you know, appropriately with the right people. And then once we've let it go, it's there. Now, the, the time you might, it, 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 telling our stories, telling the story of our hurts is appropriate twice. Once to heal ourselves. And then second time, it's like once we've done that, we've done the hard work, we have forgiven, we might tell the story again to help others. That might, you know, when, when someone says um, uh, they're going through something and it's so similar to what you went through, you might be telling the story again just to let them know you can get through this. You know, it seems like you won't, but you can get through it. And so that's appropriate. And if you're in question, should I, shouldn't I, ask your sponsor. Say, this is what's going on. I think I should do this. Whatever. Okay. Um, things that we do to strengthen our recovery. Go to meetings. Go to meetings. Go to meetings. Um, in here, when you get out, going to meetings. Now, uh, you know, there's lots of cliches, meeting makers make it and stuff like that. I've heard people say, um, and, and it's important to go to meetings so that you're hearing stuff, you know. Um, and I, w- I was sitting in a meeting once. I was about 13 or 14 years sober. And I went to the speaker meeting and the speaker spoke, um, uh, told her story. And she had been sober for 17 years and drank again. So my ears perked up to that one. And she said, you're going to think that I'm going to say I I drank again because I stopped going to meetings. And she said, I didn't. I was I was going to meetings three times a week. I was going to meet. I was there. I was showing up. And I'm thinking, oh, God, well, then what? She said, I wasn't working the steps. I had done them once back in the day. But I wasn't looking at them constantly. I wasn't talking about what was going on with me. I was sitting at meetings and listening to other people. But I wasn't sharing. My sponsor had moved away and I hadn't gotten a new sponsor. So I would come to the meetings. I wouldn't stay around afterwards and talk to people. But I never stopped going to meetings. So meetings alone will not keep you sober. It's all of a piece. It's all of a piece. But it's an important part of the piece. And I firmly believe it's the most important 12-step work we do, is to occupy a chair at a meeting. So we need to go to meetings and take part in in what is offered. For you here um, in Madison, to to take part in what's offered here. Some of you are in the the GRIP program. Growth, responsibility, integrity, and purpose. What a great, that'll get a grip on you, you know. Um, that, that, 
um, the growth, that we're willing to grow along spiritual lines. That, that line, um, um, we are not saints, is followed with, we're, but we're willing to grow along. The point is, we're willing to grow along spiritual lines. So in the GRIP program, that growth is along spiritual lines. Responsibility, that you take responsibility for your own sobriety. It's, well, I can't stay sober because there aren't good meetings in such and such a place. No. You know, you take responsibility. If you go to a place where there aren't some uh, really good meetings, you start one. <laughs> you know, let's see. just need a coffee pot and big book and you're ready to go. Grab some people and say, here, we've got to start this meeting. Um, as some people in this room have done. Okay. Integrity. God, I love that. The eye and grip is integrity. That it's the real you. That's what integrity means. It's the real you before the real God. That you, you live with integrity. That you, you get rid of the dishonesty. That you're, you're true. You say who you are. Share who you are. That integrity. The, the, um, that, that's so, so important. And the purpose that we all have a purpose. There was a great book a couple of years ago, and um, I, I didn't, I'm one of these people, you know, great books come out, I love the title, and I'll read a few chapters and I never finish it. But a lot of people were touched deeply by, by this book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life, and maybe some of you have, have heard of it, that it's important that we have purpose. And your purpose, if, if you're in Alcoholics Anonymous, is to be of service, you know, love and service. That's what we have to do. So that's, that's the, 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 the purpose um, that, that we have. Um, and and we, we're of service in lots of different ways, you know. It's, it's of service to stand up here and, and, and speak, but that's only one way. And, and all of you can find your own way. People have been in service to us by making coffee all weekend. I mean, that's a service. Uh, in, in service by, uh, you know, keeping records about a group, uh, being a secretary. There's many, many ways to be a service. When, when I first came in, it was, the big thing was empty the ashtrays. You know. Uh, but that was a service. Now you don't have to worry about that because most meetings are non-smoking meetings, so that's a, that's a good thing. Um, but uh, to to be of service, to have a purpose for your life, and, and think about that for yourself. What is the purpose of my life? You know, what is the purpose? And to think about it, and and AA help you be of service. Be a, and, you know, the 12-step the talks about practice these principles in all our affairs. It means that we have, to be of, we, we have to be of service to other people, not just. It's very easy for me. I can, you know, go to my AA meetings. I usually go to three a week. And, um, you know, I just I, I love those people. And, you know, I'm concerned about the, the newcomers. And, uh, you know, I can really be of service. And then I go home, and it's like... I don't want to be of service to anybody, you know. <laughs> so it's in all our affairs that we need to, um, uh, to be of service, to, to practice the principles that, 
that have been set down before us, those principles of, of honesty, of integrity, of taking responsibility, of uh, the humility that's, that's needed in order to, to say, yeah, I'm powerless over alcohol. That's humility, you know. No, I can do it. I can do it. No, powerless, actually, <laughs> truth be known. But notice, it's not just I. The most important word, I believe, in the whole 12 steps is we, the very first one. We. We. Because I was willing to admit, oh, okay, I heard the, the person who said to me, you're drinking the way you're drinking because you can't not drink that way. You have a disease, and it's, um, if you don't do something about it, you're going to kill yourself. That's, that's what he said. And kill yourself did not scare me. He said it's a chronic, progressive, fatal illness. If you don't do something about it, you will kill yourself. Kill yourself didn't scare me. I was suicidal. If he said, if you pick up a drink right now and take a drink, you're going to die. I would have taken the drink. Good. That's, but I was smart enough to know and had enough experience in my family to know what chronic and progressive meant. Chronic meant it was never going to go away. You know, there's, there's two kinds of illness. It's acute or chronic. Acute means it happens, you know, you, you have pneumonia, it's acute, and then you get over it. Chronic diseases like diabetes, once you have it, it's, it's there, um, don't go away. Alcoholism is a chronic illness. It's not going to go away. So I knew that. Progressive meant it was only going to get worse. It's, it's like, like old Johnny D said, he, he saw people start drinking at the country club and end up down on Skid Row, but he never saw anyone start at Skid Row and end up at the country club. You know? That's progression. It goes down. It goes down. And I could look at those charts that they had. Um, some of you old enough to remember the Jelinek chart that, that had the progression of the disease. It starts with occasional drinking, and then it becomes, and then maybe there's uh, mem- uh, blackouts are pretty far up on that thing. And with the progression, and then uh, daily drinking, and lying about drinking, and... Um, uh, drinking more than you intend was, was up there someplace. And then it goes way down. And you either head back up again with recovery or you end up deaf or in an institution. Yeah. End up dead in an institution. Jail. Okay. So when he said it's a chronic, progressive, fatal illness, you don't do something about it, you're going to kill yourself. It was like, okay, that's it. So I admitted, that's it. I am powerless. I have this disease he's talking about. Because th- those things are true. You know, I drink more than I intend to drink. I lie about my drinking. I have blackouts. I am suicidal. I, yeah, it's alcoholism. But that wasn't enough. I admitting it. I had to go to AA. I had to be with people. We admitted 
we were powerless. It wasn't me alone, because I wanted that. I wanted it to be me alone, and I would pray, you know, okay. did I mention I was a nun? I would pray, and it would be me and God, and the sunlight would be coming through the stained glass windows, and I would get sober. Not go to AA, Kathy. And I believe the answer to my prayer, because I was praying, God, help me. And the answer to my prayer was, go to AA, Kathy. But I'd rather do it, go to AA. But really, if I just go to AA. So I went AA. And it's been wonderful. So we, we take the responsibility for ourselves. And we don't have to do it alone. A lot of the clubs where AA meetings are held in different places are called YANA. Have you heard that at all? There's one in Tampa. I know they're in other places, too. It's, you know, kind of they form a little club. And YANA, Y-A-N-A, stands for You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone. And it's, it's a, good, um, a good message to get. You're not alone. Uh, <laughs> I, I knew a, a priest who was an alcoholic, and he was, a, he was an alcoholic. Everyone else knew it, but, you know, he wasn't seeing it, that denial. Very, very bright man, extremely bright man. And a uh, scripture scholar, spoke Hebrew, knew many languages, took people to um, the Holy Land, to Israel, to his studies. He lived there for a number of years. He was an extremely bright, bright man and an alcoholic. And he finally was confronted by some of his brothers. He belonged to a, a religious community. And some of his fellow um, uh, friars, they, they were uh, Franciscans, confronted him and said, you've got to face this. And he did. He went off to treatment, and um, he, he went off to treatment, and he uh, started in recovery, and um, he got sober, went to meetings, and, and he was a writer. He wrote a lot of books. And after he got sober, he wrote this, this book. It was, it was about uh, the scriptures, because he was a scripture scholar. And he wrote this book. And, and in the dedication of the book, not everyone would have gotten it, but in the dedication of the book, he named the people in, in the intervention that got him to treatment. And I, I, not everyone would know what those names meant. I knew who they were. And he listed their names. And at the top, he said... He was dedicating the book to them because you told me I alone could do it, but I could not do it alone. And that's true of our recovery. We alone can do it. No one can get us sober. No one can uh, anoint you (laughs) sober. You have to do the work. With God's grace, with God's grace, I'm not saying that, and, and some people say, you know, they, they've been, you know, delivered and it's all over. That's very few people's experience. But the most of us, ladies, it's, 
It's hard work, and we have to do it. You alone can do that work, but you cannot do it alone. And that's why the rest of us are around to support. So that's an important thing that, um, that we need to, to take away from here. Um, we're responsible for the work. So we need to do it. To work the steps, live the steps, take the steps. Some people get hung up on the verb. I just do the work, you know, do the stuff. But the stuff isn't that, you know, I've got to uh, remove my defects of character. No, that's God's work. Follow the steps. Follow the steps. Do that. Stick with the winners in here and when you leave. Stick with the winners. And those are the people who are doing the deal. Get a sponsor. Um, really important. I have, I, I've gone through uh, periods of having a sponsor and not having a sponsor. And during the periods when I didn't have a sponsor, I would have said to you, it's not so important that you name someone your sponsor as long as you're talking to people. That's bull. That's bull. I would only say that because I didn't have a sponsor at the time. And I, you know, you need to have a sponsor. You need to have one person who's getting the whole story. I was with a, a young woman, relative newcomer, a few months uh, at a breakfast uh, recently. We were, had someone had an anniversary. We went out for breakfast afterwards, and she was saying, <laughs> "I love this one." <laughs> um, well, I have a number of sponsors. Oh, I said, "Well, is there one who's getting the whole story?" Well, no, my story is so bad that it needs a lot of people. So special. <laughs> One person needs to know you. You know, all the stuff. Not everyone in your home group needs to know all the stuff. Not everyone in your group, well, maybe in here, you know, you, you have a, a group in that uh, a grip program where you, you do uh, share, where you might not share someplace else. But, but you need to, and, and not just now. In, as you go on, and not just the, the folks who, who are here, but there's a women here from outside. We all need to have a sponsor that we're talking to. Oh, by the way, because I've had that too. We're, oh, yeah, she's she's my sponsor. I never talked to her. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, I have a sponsor. Yeah, you need to have a sponsor you're talking to. I have a sponsor now. I've had a. a Oh, she could tell me. She knows the date I asked her. I don't remember that. But anyway. Um, and, and she's someone who knows the whole story, who knows me. Um, although every now and then I'll say something, and I think I've told her before that that happened in the past. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and so it's someone that, that I'm talking to on a regular basis that's hearing me that can say, Kathy, you really sound frazzled. Um, Kathy, um, you know, you've told that story enough now. Let it go, you know. Um, Kathy, what about your part in that? I hate that when she says it. I don't want to look at my part. I want to look at them and what they're doing and how terrible it is. My sponsor is great for short reminders. She just has to say one word. And her most uh, constant one 
is um, halt, you know, and you've probably heard it, that don't become hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. That when we're hungry, you know, our whole chemistry is off and we're not thinking right. So, you know, eat well, eat uh Take care of yourself. Take care of your nutritional needs. Don't become hungry. Don't become angry. Well, don't stay angry. I think anger is a natural human response to some situations when things are bad. But don't stay there. You know, don't stay in the anger. There's a great story in this month's Grapevine. Do you get Grapevine in here? No. Grapevine is a meeting in print, it's called. It it comes out of a central office in New York, and it's stories about um, that that ordinary AA members just send them in, and they tell them. You could send one in. um, But this, this is a great story, and it's about a guy who is in prison, in denial of his own alcoholism, and um, he's out in um, uh, a yard or something playing kickball with this little uh, ball that someone spent 50 cents to get out of the uh, store in the in the prison. And <clears throat> this other fellow, uh, someone kicked the ball up into the uh, razor wire, you know, that I happen to notice here, reminded me of the story. And the owner of the ball, it wasn't the fellow who's writing this story, the owner of the ball became so angry over that ball getting caught up in the, 50 cents the ball cost, getting caught up there. He was screaming and yelling, and he took his shoe off and threw it at it, and the shoe gets stuck up in the... Razor wire. And he's still ranting and screaming and angry about it. And he takes the other shoe off and throws that up. And everyone else is like, they're laughing. And, you know, it's just, this is hysterical. And, and But the fellow who wrote the story is saying it, it showed him what his own whole life was like. That he was throwing stuff away and, and thinking, I'll throw more away after it. And it's, it's going to get better. The insanity... The insanity of doing, I mean, it's insane to, you know, a 50-cent ball, throw your both shoes up, and now they're gone, too, and you're barefoot. You know, it's insane. But the, the, the illustration for this fellow, I didn't bring the grapevine in with me, the illustration for him was, that's like my insanity. I'm not facing that my alcoholism has taken away much more important things than a 50-cent ball. It's taken away my job. It's taken away my car. It's taken away my family. And, and I'm sitting around saying, mm-mm, throw something else after it. You know? So um, it, facing anger and, and dealing with anger is extremely important. Extremely important. Don't become lonely. You know, the isolation is a killer. It's a killer. We have to have some time alone. And and you people who live in such close quarters know, oh, my God, just to be alone is so wonderful. I mean, I live with three other people, and I love being alone once in a while. So, 
but, but not to become lonely, not to become isolated, not to be just listening to my own head. Because, uh, you know, going through your own head alone is a very dangerous occupation. You need company. <laughs> you know, you need other people with them. And don't become tired. You know, get the rest you need. Uh, and, and that's a big one for me. It's like, I, you know, I got this to do and this to do and this to do. And it's like, well, you know, you don't, can't get by in five hours of sleep a night. You have to. So don't become hungry, angry, angry, lonely, or tired. Or when those things happen, pay attention. I'm hungry. Maybe I should eat something. Ooh, there's a thought, you know. I'm angry. Maybe I need to talk to someone about it. I'm lonely. I need to make the effort to get out of myself. And, and sometimes it's maybe if I go and help someone else. I reach out a hand uh, to someone else. And don't, um, don't become tired. Get the rest you need. Get exercise that you need. You're probably looking at me and saying, hmm, but she doesn't do that too much. Well, I walk. I walk at least five times a week, so half hour. Anyway, um, my sponsor's other little four-letter thing, I hate, is <clears throat> I-T-M-B. She actually had it engraved on a bracelet for me. That this, well, I needed a, a medical alert bracelet. It's not a big deal. I'm allergic to aspirin, and my doctor kept insisting that I wear something that said it because if I end up in an emergency room unable to speak, I probably would be given aspirin because that's the first response to heart problems. I, I don't have heart problems, but if that should happen, I'd be given aspirin and it could kill me. So she, you should wear So on one side it says, Catherine Cahill, allergic to aspirin. But on the side that faces me is written I-T-M-B with a question mark. And I'm supposed to ask myself, especially when I'm ranting, is this my business? (laughs) I hate it. But how much trouble I'm saved when I'm about to give off opinions on something or tell someone how they should do something or, you know, fix the world. I'm supposed to look and say, is this my business? And so often I come up with, no. (laughs) Then keep your mouth closed, Kathy. So I pass it on to you. Ask yourself. Which would lead me to say, anyone in Al-Anon would say, well, of course. Of course, that's, that's it, Kathy. So if you have the opportunity to go to Al-Anon, even if you haven't identified that, you know, oh, I'm, I have this alcohol. You've got alcoholics in your life right now, you know, so go to Al-Anon. You have an Al-Anon meeting here, right? Go to Al-Anon. It takes the same steps. There's only one word difference in the 12 steps in, in Al-Anon. The first one says, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol. Our lives have become unmanageable. Same, all, every, every step is exactly the same, except in the 12th step where AA says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics. 
Al-Anon says to others. It's the same thing. You're powerless over alcohol in someone else. So Al-Anon is, is a very good thing. Read the literature. Read the literature. You know, a daily reading is great. And, and now, you know, people get it online or you have a little book that each day a new beginning, one day at a time, conference approved stuff. Read the big book. They say if you want to hide something from an alcoholic, put it in their big book, you know. So don't let that be true of you. Um, read the big book. Um, you know, underline stuff that's important to you. And every now and then take a book that hasn't been underlined and read it again and see what pops out at you this time. Read the big book. Read the 12 and 12. Um, the explanation of the 12 steps and 12 traditions that was written after the big book. The big book was written, the reason it's so good, it was written not as some pe- someone sitting down and saying, now how can alcoholics get sober? Let's write a book about it. And, and they wrote the, you know, the big book. Not at all. What happened was almost 100 people got sober and they said, we better write this down. What did we do? Well, you know, we took a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. That wasn't the first thing. Okay, well, we came to believe a power great. What was the first thing we did? We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become. Write that down. Okay, so they wrote it down. What did we, well, we came to believe a power greater than ourselves. So it's really practical. It's not someone's theory that this would work. This could get alcoholics sober. No, this got alcoholics sober, and then it got written down. So read it. Read it. Or listen to it on tape or, you know, whatever. But read the big book. Some of you are in Narcotics Anonymous. Um, I think one of the best things ever written about recovery is N.A.'s it works, how and why. It's NA's, NA's basic text is Narcotics Anonymous. That's the name of it. As the basic text of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, the name of the book is Alcoholics Anonymous. So their basic text is Narcotics Anonymous. There's a second volume that just came out in the 90s that um, is called It Works, How and Why. I recommend it to anyone even if you're not in N.A., great stuff in that book. Read the literature, the Al-Anon literature, um, the, uh, their daily reading book. One is called ODAT, One Day at a Time. Another one is called The Courage to Change. Excellent. Read, get this good stuff in you um, because that's important. What, what you're putting in. You know, you put junk in, junk's going to come out. It's like a computer. Junk in, junk out. But you put good stuff in, and that's what's, what's going to come out of you. The other um, real important piece of um, continuing in sobriety, and, and for me, it's the default of everything else is going wrong. If I can go to this, I can get back, is gratitude. Is it you who's on the back of your shirt says, I knew I saw it this morning, gratitude, the greatest virtue. Gratitude. And for, for us in who are alcoholics and, and drug addicts, 
gratitude is so important. And I said it yesterday, you know, find something every day for which to be grateful. Even if it's just that I can breathe, you know, even if it's just that, you know, I can I can eat without great difficulty, whatever it is, it can be, you know, the, the, the ordinary stuff, the ordinary stuff. We'd give anything to have what we have if we didn't have it lying. Now, I, you know, don't want to, I, I don't have a Mercedes. I don't mean I would give anything I would have to have a Mercedes. I don't care if I have a Mercedes. I've, you know, sable wagon that's 13 years old is doing fine. Thank you. Um, but but the stuff that, that's really important that we take, I take for granted. I take for granted the fact that I can walk easily. There's a, um, a sidewalk. As a matter of fact, some of it's shown on, this, on the cover of, of that uh, little book that I gave you. Um, it's called Bayshore Boulevard in, in Tampa. And it's the longest continuous sidewalk in the United States. And it runs for almost six miles without having to step down a curb. <laughs> Believe me, I don't walk the six miles. But it runs along the bay. So you're walking along the bay, and it's absolutely gorgeous. And and that's I, I, can, I, I do that a few times a week, um, at, at least. And... Um, I take for granted that I can even do that. I have a sister who's very, very dear to me, my, my oldest sister, um, who's had um, a, a number of difficulties with um, back and fallen and everything. And, she's, and she used to be a great walker, and she played golf and everything, and she's on a walker now. She has, you know, has to use a walker. And so when I walk on Bayshore, I get in touch with how I can take that for granted, that I can... Just go out and, and walk. Um, I, the ability to write. I was saying yesterday how important I think it is that we can write. That's a marvelous thing that we can do. That we can pick up a pen, put it to paper, and I want to write my name. And so I take the pen and I put it to paper and I write my name. There are a lot of people who can't do that. And I don't mean because they're illiterate. If they've had a stroke, I had a very dear friend of mine, she was head of a nursing school in New York City for years. Bright, bright woman. Bright, bright woman. And she had a stroke. And I can remember sitting with her in, in the rehab room that she was in, and she picked up a comb, and she didn't have a clue what to do with that comb. Brilliant woman. Brilliant woman. And so I need to get in touch with being grateful that I can pick up a comb and I know what to do with it. I can pick up a pen and I can write. Simple things. But if we get in touch with gratitude, there's a saying in AA, you know, grateful alcoholics don't drink. And I believe that's true. Grateful alcoholics show up at meetings. Grateful alcoholics want to pass it on. And, and it's, it's just one of the paradoxes, incredible paradoxes of, of AA. You know, we, 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 we suffer in order to get better. You know, we, um, we have, in order to keep it, we have to give it away. It's a paradox. Well, if I give it away, I don't have it. Well, no, actually, watch. You give it away and you'll have it. But that doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. That's what paradoxes are. 
they're, they're opposites that appear to be, uh, you know, you couldn't put them together, but they belong together. That's a paradox. You, you have to give it away in order to keep it. going to take a break for 10 minutes. Is that okay? A 10 minute break. And then we'll come back. Okay. Thank you. Oh, I thought maybe you were making some announcements. No, just no. Um, someone has, has asked me to, to clarify uh, something I was saying uh, yesterday about AA and religion. And, you know, some people um, say that, um, you know, their, their religion, you know, helps them more than AA would or something. You know, it's not an either or. It's not either or. Um, but uh, let me just tell you a story. And this one is true, and it really happened. <clears throat> I'm from a big family, and um, there are six of us, and, and I had uh, nine cousins that lived uh, right uh, next door to where I lived. Um, well, I guess not all nine were born by the time I left home. But, but uh, anyway, very close family, and, uh, and these nine are all in one family. There, there were nine of them. And um, very close and great, you know, one's funnier than the other. I used to say that, uh, uh, you know, Norman Lear, who he was the one who wrote um, All in the Family, you know, a sitcom back in the, in the 70s. He got paid millions to write dialogue you could hear around our kitchen table. But um, because they were funny people. I didn't get this from the grass, I guess. But anyway... Um, in uh, 2007, we had a, a tragic, tragic thing happen, and one of those cousins was uh, hit by a truck on 95 down in um, in Florida. He was uh, he lived in um, uh, Jupiter, Florida, and he was a firefighter in Miramar, which is down near Miami. And um, he had was having difficulty with his truck. He got out to uh, put some water in or something, and uh, uh, 18-wheeler came along and gone instantly, instantly. Uh, just tragic, absolutely tragic. And uh, we all gathered. I drove over to Jupiter, and the Rhode Island people um, came down, his, his siblings. Most of them lived in Rhode Island. One lived in Virginia. They all came down, and we all gathered in the house, and... It just, you know, and one of one of my cousins, uh, wife of my cousin Tommy, said to me, Kathy, how do we how do we do this? How, how uh, what do we do? And, and I you, some of you know, Father Tom Weston, I remember a friend of his or what he said to a friend of his when she was saying that it's left foot, right foot, breathe. That's the only way we get through it. One foot in front of the other, we keep breathing, and we're there for each other. And um, and so we were that that weekend. And as time goes on, and you know, it's still awful. And um, but 
we put one foot in front of the other and we got through it. The funeral, uh, Jimmy was a firefighter. So the funeral was, I mean, firefighters do ritual very well. So it was this huge funeral. And we're Catholic, so it was in the Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church does ritual very well. And it was, you know, beautiful, beautiful funeral. And um, afterwards we were, uh, you know, at the meal afterwards and... um, one of my cousins, he's married to my, my cousin, uh, Mary Lou. He, he happens to be a recovering cocaine addict. And, and I knew this. I, I knew he was a recovering cocaine addict. And um, so I had been asking him. I had asked him the day before how he was doing, I don't know, seven or eight years at the time. I can't remember. And he's, he's a firefighter, too. I'm from a family of a lot of firefighters. My dad was and uncles and cousins. And, and he's a firefighter. And, and he's, he's doing so well that they have him as the employee assistance person for the firefighters if someone has a, a problem with drugs or alcohol. I think it's more. It's probably 13 or 14 years clean. And, um, you know, he's, he's really doing very well. And, and I had asked him this the day before the funeral, and I said, Jim, are you going to meetings? Well, not so much. And um, he said, but, uh, you know, when a guy gets out of treatment and, and I'm telling him he has to go to meetings, I go with him for a while. Oh, wasn't that wonderful? You know, the helping hand strikes again. You're going to drag him to meetings. And... Um, so uh, he's oh yeah I know I know Kath I know I I, I should go to meetings tomorrow yeah okay okay so <clears throat> that was the conversation the day before the day of the funeral where you know we've gone through this incredible ritual and the you know the the funeral mass and everything and and so Jimmy's sitting with me and he says you know Kath. it's been a while since I've been to church you know we were all brought up Catholic and we all you know, go through all, and when we have family stuff, there's always, you know, it's usually a wedding or a funeral or, you know, something like that. We did have a reunion where we had mass, and he said, it's always so good. He said, I'm, I'm, thinking, about, I'm thinking about going back to church. What do you think? So he's saying this to me, you know, the nun, um, and, and I have an aunt uh, who's a sister as well. She's a sister of mercy in, in Rhode Island. Aunt Marie, and that they were all very close to. Um, and uh, so he says, so, I, you know, I, I, think I'll, I think I'll get back to church. What, what do you think, Kathy? And I said to him, Jimmy, Aunt Marie and I have church covered. You get your butt. I didn't say butt, but I'm on tape. You get your butt to, to meetings. I don't care if you go to church. Get to meetings. You know? Now, you might think, oh, that's terrible. If he was going to go to church, you should encourage him to go to church. I'd rather see him go to meetings. I mean, I was going to church all the time and drinking. So, and I'm not saying that, that church, <laughs> think of who I am. I'm not saying church isn't good. It's wonderful. But if you have to make a choice, 
get to meetings, and then maybe as you get sober, and you, you might want to go back to your church. That's my, my only point there. I'm not, and maybe that's controversial, and, um, you know, people might not like it, but anyway, that's uh, the clarification on that. I'm not downing church, you know, I'm, okay. but um, I just go to meetings. That's what's really going to, to, to keep you sober and... Um, and, and, and if you read the literature, you know, Bill says, we don't have the final answer on everything. You know, uh, volumes have been written by wise people. Read them. Read the church stuff. Go, you know, absolutely. But if it's going to be one or the other, in a second, go to a meeting. That's, that's my only point there. Okay. Um, I, I just need to kind of wrap up and, and say that, you know, when, when I started talking to Karina about this conference, which I guess in my head I was thinking more retreat, that the topic would be being made instruments of God's peace. And that prayer um, that you have, and the lady that I just gave the book to, be sure to get one of these too. I don't think I gave you that. Um, that uh, in its in it's conference approved. I'm not bringing churchy stuff to you. Uh, it's in the 12 and 12 that we pray that God does the work and we cooperate by doing what we can do. That it's God who makes us instruments of God's peace and that God does it, I believe, for us, because this is where we happen to end up, through the daily stuff of our lives, through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon, Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, all the other things. Addiction is addiction. It's, I believe it's looking for God in all the wrong places. We think we're going to get, going to fill that hole. There's a hole in all of us. And we're going to fill it. And, and, and booze does it for, you know, 30 seconds. And we spend the rest of our time trying to get that back. Heroin does it for 30 seconds. We try to get it back. We've got to get it back. So we do the stuff, that the 12 steps. And a couple, it works. A couple million people have done it. You've done it and continue doing it. And you'll find it any place you go. Any place you go. I'm walking down the streets in Dublin and run into a woman that, there she is, with the circle and triangle around her neck. Instant. Instant. I'd like to close um, with thanking you for your attention. I mean, believe me, I have never spoken to a group this size and been aware of of the attention and the, the courtesy that you've extended to me. And I, I am just so grateful for that. And, um, and certainly to the women who, who brought me here and, and so forth. Uh, very, very grateful. I would ask you to keep me in your prayers. Uh, when you have that little book, Tampa Bay Praise, it's a great book to keep going back to. It's lots of different traditions and lots of different kinds of prayers. The third and seventh step prayer in there and so forth. Uh, when you do that, think, oh, I wonder how that old lady's doing. I, I think I'll say a prayer for her, you know. Okay. I'd like to close with a quote from uh, Bill Wilson. And you don't see it in the literature a lot. Uh, it was at some kind of a conference in Los Angeles in the late 40s that he was talking to a group of people. And he said... I want to remind myself 
and anyone who would listen that AA is not a personal success story. It is instead the story of our colossal human failures, now converted into the happiest kind of usefulness by that divine alchemy, the living grace of God. I don't know about you, I had to go look up alchemy. And alchemy is the science that takes base materials and turns, tries to turn it into gold. That's, that's the origin of the word alchemy. I knew it had something to do with chemistry and that. So what he's saying is the divine alchemy, the living grace of God, the grace of God takes our colossal human failures and turns them into the happiest kind of usefulness. What I thought was the worst thing in the world that could happen to me, that I be an alcoholic, has been turned into the happiest kind of usefulness. By what? Me? No. The living grace of God. And the living grace of God, in my experience, is given to me, not by a zap, but by the human beings around me who are made in God's image and likeness. So let me repeat it and leave you with this. And then uh, Mary's going to come up. I want to remind myself and anyone who would listen that AA is not a personal success story. It is instead the story of our colossal human failures now converted into the happiest kind of usefulness by that divine alchemy, the living grace of God. Thank you.